Welcome to episode 17 in the second season of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the center. Though we're always wary of sounding too parochial, talking too much about our home province of Alberta, today I'm afraid we must focus our show on Alberta because all the COVID hysterics in the media and government from around the country are focusing on this province. Turns out we have the highest number of COVID cases in all of North America, and new strict measures are being put in place because of that. Our cases are higher than Texas, where they got rid of their lockdowns and mask mandates. Our cases are higher than Florida, which never imposed much of a lockdown. Our cases are the highest, they scream, and we're headed towards disaster, said the Toronto Star. Coincidentally, this is at the same time that the Justice Centre is in court challenging the Alberta lockdowns and restrictions through its defense of Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church for exercising their charter rights and defying the lockdown measures. This is a court case where the Alberta government lawyers said they didn't have enough time to gather scientific evidence to support the lockdowns after a year of restrictions. As if. But before we get into all of that, first of all, John, why don't you tell us about how your appearance at the Truth Over Fear Summit went over the weekend? The answer is cancelled. It was it, actually my my uh, remarks were pre-recorded, and we've got two fantastic videos. One is fifteen minutes, one is twelve minutes, and so they are going to be available and played and 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 so on. But the other thing that got cancelled is I was supposed to be on a live panel by Skype on right. Saturday, yeah. May the 8th, and that didn't go ahead. Fortunately, or sorry, uh, not not May the 8th, but the May That's the, what's coming up, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Supposed to be May 1st. Okay, so coming up on mm. Friday, May 7th, and Saturday, May 8th, is the Truth Over Fear Summit. So go online, look it up, register. You can register for free, and they also have a special premium package uh, with options like you can download the things more easily or keep them forever or something like that. But but even for free, uh, I've got Reiner Fulmich, who is the German lawyer, German and American. I think he lives in California part of the time and speaks perfect English. Uh, but he's one of the leading lawyers in, in the world uh, fighting this and um, all kinds of infectious disease specialists, medical doctors, uh, all kinds of experts for a great summit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to tell you my little story. Like, as you know, we were exchanging emails. You were busy and you said, Kevin, can you watch this? I had already joined. So I'm watching this thing. I'm having a good time. What it is, is they have pre-recorded remarks, as John will have for his, that there's a speech and pre-recorded, you look into that. Then you go over to the live session and there's a Q&A with that speaker and people online are submitting questions and he's answering them in live time. And this goes on all day. So at around the three o'clock mark, the whole thing just disappeared. It just, boom, right off the internet, got taken right off by the people, the company that uh, Truth Over Fear had signed up with. They had paid up and everything. They just got nixed. And they're, they're a company called Carta in La Jolla, California. So I got on the phone to that company, and they just had a pre-recorded message saying, oh, this a, there's a, there was an application error. And I tried this a few times. There was an application error. It wasn't an application error. They nixed the whole thing. So the 
organizer, a bit of a panic, uh, managed to get it all reconstructed at a safer, uh, more reliable provider. And yeah, so that, that was it. It was just the whole thing disappeared in front of my eyes. The one suggestion that I will take from that, and you'll probably be able to see it again. The one, the one good point that I'd heard, I heard quite a few during the day is that one guy was calling for a full audit of all the deaths. He was mm. saying, what we need is a full audit of all the deaths, and this should be easy to do. Uh, he was talking, I think, about his uh, jurisdiction. He's running for Minnesota governor. Uh, he's a doctor. He said, all you need to do is get a bunch of uh, medical grad students, sign up, and you can get this thing done in a month for his area. I assume we could do it for Alberta. You know, there's a 2,000 deaths. Just do a full, thorough audit of all the deaths and see how realistic uh, their numbers are for the death count of uh, COVID. I thought that was brilliant. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that I was getting all day. There were all kinds of, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it uh, next week after we have a complete summit. We'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff and I'll be able to get some excerpts as well from the downloads that I get and play a little bit of that as well. So unfortunately I didn't get it before it all got wiped off, but uh, we'll have it for you next week. Anyways. And 40,000 40, people were signed up for that uh, between 40 and 50,000 yeah. I'm told. So this is this is a very worthwhile event. So if you're mm. listening to this podcast, just Google uh, "truth over fear" and go there, register, and uh, you've got uh, fantastic speakers. Other than me, I'm just mediocre on uh, oh, on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Friday, okay, yeah. You can, the site is back up at RestoreTheCulture.com. They had their uh, site redirected to their new home. Uh, so you can just go to restorethaculture.com and see it all there. Okay, moving on. Let's bring it back home, John. Alberta, what's going on in Alberta? Well, huh. well, I'm very angry. I'm very upset. It's the same lies, but it's kind of uh, escalating. It's it's uh, lockdowns on steroids. And I, I apologize to the non-Alberta listeners to, of the podcast, but I will say everything I'm saying about PCR testing, about the efficacy of lockdowns or lack thereof, uh, the government propaganda, everything would apply to your own jurisdiction. So if you look at it from that lens, um, you know, what's going on in Alberta is uh, so similar to what's going on all across Canada and apparently still in quite a few U.S. states, but less so south of the border. So our, our Premier Jason Kenney uh, announced on uh, Tuesday the 4th that uh, all schools will be closed. The grade 7 and up schools were already closed. Completely unscientific, considering that children are not threatened by COVID and uh, children don't spread COVID. So, I mean, there's no scientific or medical reason for shutting down schools. And it inflicts a huge hardship on many families especially now with the elementary schools from, from kindergarten to grade six, shutting down my nine-year-old daughter who's in grade four was in tears yesterday, very, very upset. And she's going to be locked up in the house other than times when we might exercise our charter freedoms and be out and about and visiting people. And if, if anybody thinks I'm advocating law-breaking, I would say, well, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is the highest law of the land. It's the Alberta government that is breaking the law. And when you exercise your charter freedoms, you're not breaking the law. And it's that simple. So I'm, uh, 
I'm a law and order guy, but you got you got to pick the right law to follow, and that's the Charter, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's the highest law, not some health order decreed and, and issued on the fly as per usual. So oh, elementary gee. school shutting down Friday, May the seventh, uh, until at least May twenty fifth. So it's what two and a half weeks or so. Workplaces with COVID nineteen outbreaks. Uh, not defined, will be mandated to close for 10 days. Well, what's an outbreak? An outbreak is if one person gets a positive result on a PCR test, which was never designed to diagnose COVID, which has false positive rates as high as 90%, which does not concern sick people. My guess would be that, that there's an outbreak at a workplace if one person gets a positive test result on a PCR, because we're not talking about sick, sick people here, right? When they talk about a thousand PCR, a uh, thousand cases, that means... 900, 950 people who are not sick, who are perfectly healthy. And Hang just on, to, I just, I've got a question because I'm not sure what the researchers have found. But the last word we had on Alberta was that the cycle was 41 in Alberta. Is that still 41? Is it still 41? I don't know, but okay. you know, anything, any, any cycle higher than 30, you're just going to get, just about everybody is going to test positive. Okay. Um, All right. No update on that. So, okay. you know, if, no science here. It's the it's a fear mongering and it's uh, meaningless case numbers which are forming the basis of government violations of our rights and freedoms as citizens. It's based on meaningless, irrelevant case numbers uh, concerning perfectly healthy people. So workplaces have to be shut down for ten days. Uh, well, except for critical workplaces. Well, what's critical? Uh, I'm not content to let politicians decide what's critical or not. Uh, a restaurant is a critical workplace for the cooks and the waiters. And uh, it's also critical for society that you have a place to meet socially, legally, have fun. All of these measures are joy killing, fun killing. And uh, the vision of, of uh, Premier Jason Kenney and Chief Medical Officer Dina Hinshaw is that we are basically sacks of pathogens. <laughs> they don't see us as human beings that have a soul, that have a mind, that have a spirit. Uh, it's like we're being reduced down to virus-carrying biological beings that, that, that have no soul or spirit. That's the underlying belief behind these measures. Uh, Premier Kenny says retail businesses uh, capacity slash to 10% of the fire code if we have time later on, I'm going to get into the health minister's assertion that 96% of businesses in Alberta are open and substantially able to operate, which is kind of a hollow statistic because there are a lot of businesses are suffering financially. They're losing money every month. They're staying open because they still have to pay uh, for the, their, their rent or they still have to pay their lease payments, whatever. So it makes sense to stay open and get at least some money as opposed to no money at all. These are not viable businesses. So it's a very irrelevant figure to say that, I might as well refer to it right now, Minister, Health Minister Shandro estimates that approximately 167,000 out of 173,000 businesses are open in Alberta. So 96% of businesses are, quote, substantially able to operate, quote. That's not your business criterion, whether you're running a restaurant or, or a retail store or any other kind of a business. I mean, substantially able to operate is pretty vague. 
But businesses are set up and designed in a certain way. When the government comes along and says capacity is slashed to 10% of fire code, for a lot of businesses, uh, that's going to be a loss. And this is being imposed by people that have zero business experience. Jason Kenney, the Premier and Chief Medical Officer, Tina Hinshaw, have not started or run uh, any business. They do not understand that it, this is not like a light switch. I mean, these people are used to collecting their government paycheck for decades on end, and they just have no understanding of how the economy works or how business works. And so they just casually say, oh, well, capacity limited to 10% of fire code. Public sector privilege, I think you call public, it. Public sector privilege. Yeah. Stuffing it down our throats. I... Uh, one of my columns recently published, I, I, I asked the question, how long would lockdowns have lasted if every politician, every university professor, every teacher, every government employee, every public sector worker had to start living on $2,000 a month indefinitely? So we're reducing your, your, uh, your paycheck down to $2,000 a month. That's gross, not net. You still have to pay tax on it. Indefinitely. You have no idea when it's going to end. Uh, if ever, and you might never go back to your former paycheck, I think the lockdowns would have been uh, temporary, two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say let's and, do it. Why not? Let's let's ask the public sector to live on that. Come on, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Like, yeah, would, how would police feel about uh, earning $2,000 per month indefinitely? They earn a lot more yeah, than that. Let's pull together. Let's, yeah, we're all in this together. Patio dining will close alongside barbershops, tattoo parlors, hair and nails salons, effective Sunday, May 9th. Patio dining. So where's the science on that? We know that COVID doesn't spread outdoors. We further know that it doesn't spread amongst healthy people or asymptomatic people, even if they're indoors. But I mean, especially if it's outdoors, it's like a double whammy. A bunch of people sitting together at a patio outdoors, there's zero chance of COVID spreading. Moreover, uh, this whole problem could be solved by sick people staying home. If you have a sore throat, chills, fevers, difficulty breathing, stay home. Don't mix and mingle with other people. Bang, we're done. All done. No need for lockdowns. So oh, these by scientists... The <clears throat> by the way, I've learned to cut my own hair, you know. Mm. It's a good thing it's a podcast where we're not using video. So, See, barbershops are essential for the people that work there and earn their livelihoods. Yeah. Not something that the, the politicians or the university professors would understand that you have to earn a living. So you have to provide a service. You have to get paid for it. You need yeah. customers. My barber is so, a good guy, but I, I can cut my own hair now. I've learned. Well, I mean, I'm not very well, but. No, obviously I can see you on the computer screen. <laughs> okay. uh, All right. Already. I'm allowed <laughs> to crack those jokes. You're not. Okay. But yeah, he's a good guy. And now look at, he's losing all this business. Cause I've had to struggle with my own uh, haircuts. Anyways, continue. Same goes for those working in hair and nail salons and mm. pedicures and manicures. It's it's an it's an honest and valuable way to make a living. You're providing a service that makes p people happy, and it's just disgraceful to have these uh, professional politicians dictating what is or is not essential. Restaurants uh, limited to takeout and delivery only. That was already the case, sadly. So that that's going to be extended. Uh, again, no no comprehension of, of economics. Now, some restaurants, if, if it was built from the get-go, you know, two years ago, if it was built as a takeout place, then maybe they're doing okay in the lockdowns, uh, you know, because they're renting small premises that's just enough for a counter space and a kitchen in the back 
and, you know, large fridge to store the food. If that's the way the business was originally designed, then the takeout places, uh, those ones are going to do okay. The fact is, though, restaurants pay thousands, tens of thousands of dollars a month to rent a large space, and they are dependent on customers coming in and occupying every table. Because <laughs> yeah. even even saying you can have customers only half the table, that cripples a restaurant because its profit margins are not huge. They depend on certain numbers coming in. You've reduced capacity down to half. We're not going to, there's going to be so many restaurants going bankrupt uh, in the next few months. Again, some of them, they're still open because they're forced to be open because they're locked into a lease and they got to pay their rent. And so, you know, they're, they're staying open, but they're, they're losing money every month. So Jason, the job killer. Outdoor social gatherings, currently limited to 10 people, will be limited to five. So let's go from very unscientific to even more unscientific. There's no threat of COVID spreading. And for reasons I may touch upon later, COVID's not the unusually deadly killer that politicians are making it out to be in the first place, right? So even if outdoor social gatherings did spread COVID, it's like, well, Jason Kenney has compared it publicly to the Spanish flu on more than one occasion. And uh, the truth is, based on the government's own data, that COVID is uh, way closer to the annual flu than what it is to the Spanish flu. Yeah. Yeah, there was actually an article in uh, one of the uh, papers recently, I think it was yesterday, that talked about these 50 doctors that wrote some letter saying we need stricter lockdown measures. One of the lines was that... uh, the uh, modeling predictions have proven fairly accurate to date. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, I'll make sure I highlight that article. Well, I mentioned yeah, yeah, this. I just burst out laughing when I saw Oh, that. yeah. Oh, the models are of... accurate. Well, you haven't yeah. read them yet. Uh, I mentioned in a speech that I gave on Tuesday, May 4th at, uh, at a rally at the McDougal Center, which is the uh, – the premier's office in Calgary. It's in downtown Calgary. It's not his constituency office, but it's like it's the premier's office. And sometimes they have cabinet meetings there. And so it's, it's kind of like a mini legislature, sort of vaguely. It's a you know big building in the middle of downtown Calgary. So I, I spoke to a rally there and I referred to the April 8th, 2020 modeling when Dina Hinshaw, the chief medical officer and Premier Kenny said that even with lockdown measures in place, as many as 32,000 Albertans could die of COVID. Well, here we are today, 2,000 deaths, which is very sad, which is also normal. Uh, we don't live forever. And, uh, you know, three quarters of the deaths are, are people that are already sick with things like cancer, emphysema, heart disease, and so on. So very, very sad. But the total deaths in Alberta every year is 27,000 deaths. Right. So we have 2000 people dying with COVID. Very sad, but also normal. And this is the fear mongering that uh, I would like to see those deaths audited as well. That's what I said at the beginning and I stand yes. by it. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dazzle you with some more of uh, uh, Dina Hinshaw's science. Okay. Places of worship will be limited, limited to 15 people. Look in a, in a tiny little church, uh, okay, fine, maybe, but although not, because you know, if you're vulnerable, if you're 75 and you got serious health problems, don't go to church. 
Uh, my understanding is that Catholic bishops in Alberta and elsewhere have said that uh, Catholics are not obligated to go to Mass. And I'm sure that the leaders of other religions are saying the same thing. You know, if you're old and vulnerable, God is okay with you not going to the house of worship. You know, you can you can skip synagogue or mosque or temple or church. <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think there's any religious leaders that are saying that... Uh, uh, you're uh, putting your immortal soul in in danger by foregoing worship if you're elderly and COVID vulnerable. Right. Uh, so there's there's no restrict there's no need for any restrictions on church attendance. But again, pushing the utterly unscientific into the totally unscientific places of worship limited to 15 people. This means that a place like St Mary's Cathedral uh, to in in Calgary, just south of downtown. Pretty big, you know. Not it's not the biggest in the world or anything, but it it, it could seat I don't know a, a thousand people. I, I think it's a very big church, and so there's only 15 people allowed. This destroys community because, uh, and I, I I'm not an expert on on all religions, but I'd venture a guess the temple, the synagogue, the mosque, um, th- these are places where people gather and they know each other and they have relationships with each other and they see each other and new relationships get built and formed. And so these lockdowns are destroying the fabric of society. And I've seen this myself. I've been in synagogues and and mosques and Sikh temples in addition to churches and whatever house of worship I'm in, people know each other, they greet each other, they have a community. The community is important. You don't have community when, uh, by way of a two-dimensional you know, uh, a two-dimensional image on a computer screen. Why, before lockdowns, did people spend thousands of dollars uh, to fly somewhere else at Christmas time to be with certain family members or friends, right? We could have had uh, Christmas 2019 could have all been celebrated by Zoom, right? We had the technology there. How many people celebrated Christmas by Zoom? Probably the only people who did uh, were ones that just like absolutely could not travel because they couldn't afford it, or maybe they had a health condition that prevented them. They they were sick or they were too old, right? So Zoom was kind of a Zoom and Skype were kind of a backup for Christmas 2019. But all these other people spent lots of money flying to different provinces to see their their parents, their kids, their nieces, nephews, cousins whatever else. We need that as as human beings. We need to connect in person. And these lockdowns are destroying relationships by relegating them, confining them to the two-dimensional computer screen on a permanent basis. More psychology. Funeral attendance will be limited to 10 people. Have they thought about... You know, funerals are so, I'm sure there's medical and scientific studies to, to, to back this up, but I think I think it's just plain common sense that we know that when you have something horrific happen, like somebody who dies, we need the funeral to to mark that. Uh, We people need rituals. We have rituals. You know, why do we sing happy birthday? Why do we have a cake with candles as opposed to passing around uh, uh, sushi or samosas? You know, we, we, we mark birthdays with, with a ritual. When you, finish high school, there's a ritual and there, there's the cap and gown and, and there's the ceremony and there's the speech. And so funerals are Im- important psychologically that you go there. It's, it, it, it's something that helps you to process your grief. And this is cruel and callous to limit funeral attendance. 
average funeral attendance, I once read somewhere, don't quote me on it, is 250 people is, is an average funeral. That's how many people feel that they were impacted by the, the life of the person that died. Those are the people that are willing to take out two hours of their day to, you know, go home and put on, uh, put on some decent clothes and go to the funeral and then, you know, and go to the reception. Even if that's, let's, even if 250 is wrong, let's say it's 50 people. Okay. Let's say the average funeral attendance is 50. This means that there's 40 people who are excluded from, from something that is profound, meaningful, significant, and I think necessary. Uh, it, it is dishonoring to the dead that it, to, to, to not have some kind of, you know, ceremony or, or ritual. And it, was, it need not be religious per se, but, you know, something to mark. And so, so funeral attendance limited to 10 people. It's cruel. It, it's evil. It's inflicting massive mental harm, harm on, our, on, on the mental health of so many people when you uh, are not, you know, close enough to make the top 10, right? And, and I, I venture a guess for the vast majority of people who die, they've impacted more than 10 people over the course of their life. There's more than 10 people that want to go there to be present and for people to comfort each other. And here, and I think even a large family, um, you know, by the time you have the, the kids and the spouses and the grandkids, I mean, you're, you you're could be excluding. You're cutting people out. Yes. You're, cutting, you're cutting people out of something that is sacred, Shame on Jason Kenney. Shame on, G- J- on on Dina Hinshaw. And what are they basing it on? I don't know. That's the ah, thing. Next line in next line in the uh, government propaganda uh, media story I'm reading off of. Quote from Premier Kenney. Quote: Governments must not impair people's rights and livelihoods unless it is absolutely necessary to save lives. Kenney said. Do we get yeah, a punchline? Kenney saving. Now? <clears throat> yeah, punchline. And then he adds on, unfortunately, that is the situation we are facing today. So pff, excluding uh, thousands of people, I, even in a small province like Alberta, 4.4 million people in the past 13 months, I, it's safe to say thousands of people have been uh, prevented from a- attending a funeral that they needed to attend, needed for their own mental, psychological and spiritual well-being. Thousands of people prevented from from attending a funeral and this isn't saving lives it's only saving lives if well at least three the three biggies i'd say if covid is an unusually deadly killer that's uh close to the spanish flu that jason kenney has compared it to or if healthy asymptomatic people are spreaders of the virus and then thirdly if lockdowns work and all three of those have to be true i think those are the three biggest lies COVID is an unusually deadly killer that we should fear. Healthy people can spread it through casual contact. And lockdowns are an effective way of saving lives. Those are the three biggest lies. Right. Good. They're not backed by science. Yes, you've resolved it down to three, and that's great, because it's you know sometimes important to make it a very narrow focus. As in a political campaign where you need only two main points, three is, is probably... Uh, Pushing it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And Jason Kenney says, we will not permit our healthcare system to be overwhelmed. Maybe I should. Yes. This is the punchline <laughs> that I was actually talking about because I saw the press release and I was like, man, were you, did you guys have this in hand when this, this new stuff came down? Because it sure looked like you were just waiting to sock them between the eyes with this. Go ahead. Tell us what you found. Well, Jason Kenney is not going to be 
pleased with the uh, Wednesday, May 5th news release that the Justice Center is sending out uh, titled, Alberta government's own data shows hospital bed and ICU utilization at five-year low. Let me read you some numbers here. Hospital bed utilization in Alberta, and we've got the data there from uh, 2016 to 2021. So through FOIP requests, I should say. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. They stonewall us a lot, but sometimes little bits and pieces get through. So January 2016, hospital bed utilization. I'm going to round it to the nearest percentage. I mean, this is 95.81, but I'm just going to round it to 96. Okay. So January 2016, 96%. January 2017, 96%. January 2018, 97%. January 2019, 94%. Oh, down a bit. 2020, now this is pre-lockdown, back to 95% again. 2021, 11 months into lockdown. Guess what? Oh, oh, and January in the middle, in the middle of flu season and COVID season. Mm-hmm. Hospital utilization in Alberta, 90% utilization. So it's that's down. the lowest. It's the lowest in six years. I'm not going to read out February and March, but it's 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 the same pattern. Uh, we've got, you know, hospital bed utilization, 96%, 95%, 94%, 95%, so on and so forth. 2021, it's 90%, 91%, and 94%. So that's hospital bed utilization in Alberta. ICU utilization, we have no data on 2021. However, we have interesting data for 2020, which of course was uh, the last uh, nine and a half months of 2020 were various degrees of lockdowns. So October 2016, ICU utilization, 79%. And then the following years, it's 82%, 80%, 78%. In 2020, it is 79%, same as in 2016, and lower than in 2017 and 2018. November, December, same thing. Year-over-year data, hospital bed utilization in Alberta. And uh, that's kind of a repeat of, of what I said. So... Mm-hmm. Even if we're wrong on all of this, let's say that we're just not reading the data correctly and news release is totally off base. The fact is we've had overcrowded hospitals for years on end and anybody that tries to pin this on COVID is intellectually dishonest. It is normal. You can ask any doctor or nurse or, or any hospital staff person, food services, janitors, periodically, because the hospital is kind of, you know, fixed. It's a certain size and there's a certain number of beds and a certain number of staff. And sometimes you get, you know, especially during flu season. I mean, it's not unheard of, you know, 24 hour waits in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you come yeah. into the emergency room and you can expect to wait 24 hours before you're seen by somebody. Okay. This is, this is normal in Canada. It's very sad. It should be fixed. Won't get off track on that. I, I mean, we can have a whole episode on the, <laughs> Why it's mm. stupid to have a government monopoly over healthcare, and you know why can't we use a French or German or Australian focus, or Japanese model? Focus, focus, focus. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so Alberta's hospitals uh, are not overwhelmed; they're not in any particular danger of being overwhelmed. And if I'm wrong on that, if they were overwhelmed, it's not because of COVID; it's because the politicians are refusing or failing to fix the healthcare system. 
They, uh, according to the Toronto Star, were headed for disaster, though. That's a, uh, that was their We're in story. a disaster. We're in a disaster with 14 months of lockdowns. I don't know what these media people are. We're heading towards one? Well, no, they're talking about a <sighs> medical disaster. Uh, we yeah, are they've been saying that for 13 months. Uh, well, we're heading towards a medical malpractice disaster as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But anyway, yes. Well, that's the Toronto Star, the Red Star. They seem to be really uh, reveling in it. Taken kicks at Alberta. Rather interesting, as I said in the intro, that you know this all this stuff about Alberta happening just as you're on the verge of going to court, where we know the Alberta government is not producing evidence. This is the Grace Life Church. Maybe you can give us a quick uh, update on that. Uh, we know what's going on right now as we're recording. So, yeah, the first two days of the trial are over. So that took place Monday, May third, Tuesday, May fourth. And uh, trial is being adjourned to early June, at which the judge is going to release some preliminary decisions. So just by way of background, Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church Church near Edmonton are charged with violating the uh, public health orders. Uh, Pastor Coates was in jail for 35 days. And after he got out, the government's now put this large fence around the church so the congregation continues to worship secretly on, on Sundays, and um, just like communist China, Sorry. just like yeah, just like communist China, or the uh, uh, the persecution during the Roman Empire, right. uh, Christians used to meet in, in secret there. So we might be seeing more of this in the years ahead: uh, secret prayer meetings, secret uh, worship services, priest holes. Yeah. So the government. Under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Alberta government is required to demonstrate with compelling evidence that its charter-violating measures uh, are doing more harm than good and that, that it's necessary, that they're backed up by science and medicine. And after 13 months of imposing lockdowns on us, the Alberta government was either unwilling or unable, I'm not sure which, to produce any evidence in court on Monday. And uh, so preliminary applications were heard. The, the, the Alberta government actually argued that the charter freedoms of, um, uh, of, of James Coates, uh, the freedom, freedom of worship, uh, freedom of, of um, religion, conscience, peaceful assembly, association, charter freedoms were not violated <laughs> is, is uh, oh, that's man. one of the things they tried to argue. I, um, hopefully that'll get slapped out of the water. So what is going to happen is is sooner or later the government will be required to produce medical and scientific evidence in court. Well, sooner or later, is it going to come before these preliminary decisions by the judge? That's what I want to know because I don't think he can really – you may charge a challenge and uh, they have to produce that evidence, don't they, in order for the judge to make a decision? Yeah. Well, and we've produced the evidence on our part. We've got 2,300 pages okay. of, uh, of expert medical evidence from infectious disease specialists and, and uh, medical doctors and so on. So we've we filed our things on, uh, on our end, and mm -hmm. now the government's dragging its heels and trying to run away from the evidence. But the, the fact that after... After violating our rights and freedoms month after month after month after month after month after month after month for 13 months, and then they, they can't produce, they're not able or not willing 
to produce their evidence in court that might justify these measures. That tells you everything you need to know about lockdowns. Sure. Right there. Yeah. And and at, the, at the trial of Pastor James Coates on May 3rd, 2021, the Alberta government had no medical or scientific evidence to present uh, to attempt to justify its violations of our Charter Freedoms. Yet these media people are saying, hey, we've got this letter by 50 doctors here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you guys get up there and testify? Come on. Here's your opportunity. You know? Oh yeah, I actually yeah, I'll uh, I'll ask a member of the legal team to make that suggestion to the Alberta government's lawyers. Sure, know. yeah. Pick, or even pick, make one, a press pick one of these media hound doctors and say, hey, well, why don't you come into court? Yeah, and then you'll you'll find most of them saying, oh, well, I, actually, I don't. I'm I'm just a family doctor. I don't know anything about. Well, maybe you know, somebody um, will get in there and you'll be able to cross examine them. You know, with uh, interesting. I look forward to the cross examinations of all the. Chief medical officers across Canada. So you it's hear that, be... expert doctors in Alberta? Put up or shut up. That's what yeah. we say now. Okay. Meanwhile, Jason is upping the fines from $1,000 to $2,000. And he said that there will be, quote, tougher enforcement, quote. Ah, right. Yeah, well, you see Nenshi, Nenshi complaining about the enforcement of tickets uh, in the paper last week. That was pretty good. Actually, I think Calgary, it was this week. Calgary Mayor Nachned Nenshi, Nenshi, who is yeah. not running for re-election. Thank God. Um, wow. And he doesn't understand that uh, politicians are not supposed to be involved in making prosecution decisions. Yeah. And then guy. Jason said, we will not tolerate those who endanger the health of their fellow Albertans. I guess he's asking for some intolerance towards himself then because he's endangering the health of his fellow Albertans with the lockdown measures. Uh, again, there's just no risk with people gathering together. It's the, the vulnerable that uh, need to protect themselves. We know who the vulnerable are. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're elderly, you've got health conditions, you know, stay home have your groceries delivered to your door, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, some people have a reason to be afraid. 90% of us do not. Now, Rachel Motley, the NDP opposition leader, uh, this is interesting. She's speaking from both sides of her mouth. Rachel Motley, who would have imposed more severe lockdowns on Alberta sooner and more frequently uh, than Jason Kenney, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she wants to criticize him, but then, anyway, bizarre comment here. She says, Jason Kenney's latest measures are undermining people's ability to plan. These new measures will have an immediate impact on Alberta small business owners struggling to stay afloat. Like, as if she wouldn't cripple and ruin and destroy businesses well, if she was premier. As I'm and, you often, know, now he's cooing about, you know, the business yeah. of staying afloat. I've and often as said for under I've often said to you that the only thing Jason Kenney has going for him right now is that Rachel Notley is worse. That's it. That's not saying much. So. Yeah. Well, and undermining people's ability to plan, you know, she hit on a very important point. That's true. Yeah. The, the ability to plan. Nobody can plan much of, of anything uh, these days. I mean, it's not black and white. I guess you can still phone your, your doctor, your dentist, uh, your uh, optometrist, where you, you can book appointments with people and you can meet with meet up with people illegally, you know, have, have an appointment like I'm going to come over to your house at uh, two o'clock and, you know, mm -hmm. you say, okay, well, walk in through the back door. Yeah. Don't linger. Uh, the door will be unlocked. Don't, don't <laughs> ring the doorbell. Just walk walk right into the house, close the door behind you. Yeah. I mean, no, we can, we can still do a little bit of planning on small scale stuff. Uh, but when it comes to 
weddings, when it comes to events. I mean, the Justice Center is not going to have our annual George Jonas Freedom Award dinner in 2021. We did go ahead in 2020, and it was an absolute nightmare with with the, the rules changing every month. And we had three dinners in, in uh, Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver to celebrate the legacy of George Jonas, who was a refugee from communist Hungary. Why not have Fantastic. Florida and Texas this year? Hmm. <laughs> because those who attend will be locked up in one of Trudeau's jails for, oh, for three right. days. Yeah, okay. It also puts it out All of right, reach let's just for move people everybody price-wise. down there. That's <laughs> the price, you know, it's, it's price sensitive. Um, it's not that many people that can afford the, uh, the costs of, of, of traveling to Florida to go to a Canadian dinner, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a dinner, a free, dinner. but, but Rachel, Rachel Notley says, although it's just disgusting to try to blame Jason for doing something that that she would have done herself, but that this is undermining people's ability to plan. And she wants the province to enact stronger fiscal supports. Well, (sighs) how long can you just live on free money, borrowed money? And it's not freed money, free money. It's, it's our kids and grandkids that have to, uh, have to repay it. NDP opposition leader also criticized Kenny's plans for schools since he kept claiming they were safe for in-person learning and has now ultimately uh, shut down the schools with only a few days' notice. Well, I don't know what's going on inside Jason's head, but he, he was correct that it was perfectly safe. Uh, Sweden had all of its schools open, or certainly the, the elementary ones, and I think the high schools as well. I'm not sure. Not a single Swedish child died of COVID, and they, they had all their elementary schools open. Alberta legislature is suspended. Um, oh yeah, I saw an article uh, said. Oh, and now Kenny, it was Don Braid. Yeah, and now Kenny faces charges of cowardice for closing the ledge. Yeah. You know this. The sad thing. Uh, there's many sad things about it. One. One more sad thing is that the legislature has been largely relegated off to the sides because, mm. or to the sidelines, because Dina, the chief medical officer, is running the province single-handedly, unilaterally. None of her health measures are subjected to any debate in the legislature. I mean, at they least there would be some working. legitimacy if there was if there was uh if there was debate in the in the legislature, there would be at least some uh democratic legitimacy. Uh it's one thing for the Public Health Act to give the chief medical officer the power to force sick people into quarantine. That's been on the books for decades. I don't think anybody's I don't know what people think, but I, I would venture to guess most people are okay with the legislative provision that gives a narrow power that the chief medical officer can force sick people who are contagious to go into isolation. Is that a violation of your rights and freedoms? Well, yes, absolutely it is. But that would be an example where most people would go, well, okay, that's, you know, if, if you're sick with a serious illness that is contagious you're actually sick, you're actually at risk of spreading it. And if you want to insist on going into movie theaters and shopping malls and whatever, you know, it would be reasonable to to say the state could force that sick person into quarantine. These are laws, they're, they're not quarantining the sick. These are laws of broad application that apply to all 4.4 million Albertans. And a, a law of that nature mm-hmm. that applies to everybody all the time, that should only be passed by the legislature. Right. It's one of our arguments in our in our court cases, and it's a good one because it 
really speaks to what is going on here, which is like they call the medical dictatorship. I don't think uh, anybody could deny that's what we're living under now. So some good news. We had the uh, No More Lockdowns Rodeo in Bowdoin, <laughs> Alberta this past weekend. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud to say that, uh, that there are at least two Justice Center lawyers that I'm aware of who were present and attending and uh, speaking there. No, I was not, not able to attend. Not bronco busting? No, no. And they weren't bronco busting. I don't think they were riding any bulls uh, okay. or, or Bron- doing horses, calf roping or anything else. Okay. All right. So we get we get the same we get the same unscientific rhetoric from Jason Kenney uh, saying it is disturbing to see large numbers of people gathering this weekend at Bowdoin in flagrant violation of COVID nineteen public health measures. Wrote Jason Kenney on on Twitter. Not only are gatherings like this a threat to public health, they are a slap in the face to everybody who is observing the rules to keep themselves and their Albertans safe. Slap. So okay. those 2,000 people that went to the rodeo didn't endanger anybody. In fact, they benefited public health because they got outside and they had fun and they enjoyed interacting socially with people, which is a fundamental health need. There's another of my published columns. I, I went went through Dina Hinshaw uh, not looking at her own job description as medical officer of health. Mm-hmm. Health, as defined by the United Nations, includes our mental and social and psychological well-being. Health is not just absence of COVID. And so we have this chief medical officer that's supposed to look after our health, and she harms our health with these measures and... Uh, redefines health into not dying of COVID as if, as if that's the only health concern that, that we have. I, I wish you'd stop using that United Nations definition because you know, they're going to change it, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So Just so- like the United Nations, they changed the definition of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. It used to be, I think we covered that on a prior show, something about uh, it's a preventative yeah, it- health measure that, that, uh, you know, can be, it was herd immunity. It's, it's, one, of, it's one, of, one of two ways to get herd immunity. You can get it, vaccinations uh, are, are one means of acquiring herd immunity. That's what they used to say, which is accurate. Mm-hmm. And then they change it uh, and, and say, vaccinations are part of acquiring uh, herd immunity. Herd immunity. Yeah. It, was, it was more significant than what I just said. But the rodeo, uh, it went ahead because there are 2,000 people and the location was revealed only at the last moment. I think it was on a Friday night. The email went out. Oh yeah. Uh, so it was next to impossible for the um, uh, for the charter violating health authorities and police to to try to stop it because it was kind of a you know word leaked out last minute. And um, they they also had a, a a little religious service to kick off the day on Sunday morning. They had some hymns and prayers mm. and such. Uh, because you know it's a criminal code offense to disrupt a church service. So at the very start of the day, they had a uh, they had a short religious service with uh, with some singing, and um, I think it's fantastic that this went ahead. And these people were not breaking the law; they were exercising their fundamental freedoms guaranteed by the highest law of the land, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So God bless the rodeo that took place in. Uh, in, in, in Alberta this past weekend. 
And I foresee a rather interesting summer with this type of thing going on. Yeah, let's let's hold events and subvert the authorities. Yeah, that that could make it fun. Anyways, yes. Now, our communications director, uh, Marnie Cathcart, forward, forwarded me this wonderful, wonderful little tidbit. A quote from Jason Kenney, going back to 2002, as I've mentioned, he is a lifelong politician, uh, not somebody that's ever started or managed or run or uh, make successful a business. He's been getting his public sector paycheck uh, deposited into his account since since uh, about 1997. But he made an interesting comment in the House of Commons in 2002. Listen to this. Quote, I do not believe that matters of great moral import like this should simply be left to self-interested experts to decide. Yes, Experts may have great technical expertise, but their intense involvement with issues in many cases makes them blind to the common moral sense of society. Well, those are the kind of things you can say when you're in opposition, right? Let me read that again. Okay. This applies 100% to to Alberta. I do not believe that matters of great moral import like this should simply be left to self-interested experts to decide. Yes, experts may have great technical expertise, but their intense involvement with issues in many cases makes them blind to the common moral sense of society. So the common moral sense of society would recognize things like the importance of being able to attend a funeral. It would recognize the science that uh, COVID's not an unusually deadly killer. It is not spread by healthy people or by casual contact. And uh, 13 months of, of evidence shows that that lockdowns have no positive impact on reducing deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got all kinds of heavily locked down uh, jurisdictions with very high death rates. And you have not locked down jurisdictions with high death rates and heavily locked down jurisdictions with lower death rates and not locked down jurisdictions with lower death rates. It is all over the map. There's no pattern. There's no trend. There's no correlation. Therefore, there's no evidence mm-hmm. that lockdowns work. And so the government stuck with, well, they, they might work. Like maybe, maybe they're doing some good. You know what? That's that's not good enough for uh, driving people into unemployment and poverty and driving people to suicides and drug overdoses and you know, putting hundreds of billions of dollars of debt that our children and grandchildren need to repay and killing the joy of spending Christmas with loved ones. No excuse. Speculation and that you know maybe perhaps these lockdowns might be doing some good that's not an adequate basis for inflicting this much harm and destruction on all of society yes i think i can probably uh finish that off with a remarks with remarks quoting remarks from a Jewish doctor in new york who was part of that uh, summit before it got bombed off the internet he is looking forward to a reckoning he believes that there will be a reckoning. Uh, he was asked about the Nuremberg trials and the reckoning there, and he was saying very seriously, yes. He hopes that there is a reckoning of that order to the people that have pushed this pandemic on society because of all the harms that they have caused. He was very serious. He was uh, he was the one that started the Zelenko protocols. I think his name was Zev Zelenko. Anyways, he was uh, he was one of the presenters. And uh, he said, now now is not the time for retribution, but there will be time in the future for that. 
anyways, well, before we finish up, John, are there any other uh, points from around the country regarding uh, lockdowns or any other things of interest uh, that the Justice Center is up to right now? Yes, extremely important court action in Manitoba taking place right now. Started on Monday, May 3rd, same day as the Coates trial. This is our uh, charter challenge to the lockdowns in Manitoba. And unlike the Coates case the in Alberta, the, the Manitoba government is going into court with its medical and scientific evidence. And so this is an extremely important trial because we've got our medical experts like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University, who is a world-renowned infectious disease specialist and one of the three authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which everybody should read. Very short, just Google Great Barrington Declaration, and this advocates for focused protection of the vulnerable. So let's really protect the approximately 10% of the population that's, uh, that is threatened by COVID. Let's protect those people and let's let everybody get on with our lives and experiencing joy and having fun and <laughs> being legally allowed to earn money so that you can support yourself as opposed to taking out loans forever that have to be paid off by, by your kids and grandkids. So that is running through for, for the next two weeks. Two weeks. So from, okay. yeah, so it's, it's 10 days in court and there are expert witnesses speaking. There are, uh, there's cross-examination, there's evidence being presented. So very, very intense. Our uh, Manitoba lawyer, Alison Pujovic has been preparing for this very hard for very many months. And uh, co-counsel is uh, Jared Brown. He's uh, based in Toronto. And uh, of course, Jay Cameron, our litigation director, is is heavily involved in this. And other members of the legal team have put in time, effort, and energy as well. So this is absolutely huge, what is taking place in, in Manitoba this week, where we actually have forced one government to come into court and try to persuade the court that these lockdown measures are are a justified violation of our charter rights and freedoms. Well, kudos to that government. At least they fessed up and said, okay, hey, this is our evidence, you know, unlike the Alberta government. They was probably just waiting for Manitoba to show us what their evidence is, and they're just going to yeah. crib it all. Uh, well, anyways. That's, the, that's we cool. also have uh, lots of litigation taking place in Ontario, where our staff lawyer, Lisa Bildi, is working very, very hard. And uh, the government is aggressively pursuing two different churches that were not complying with the health orders. And it's interesting there too, the government presents no evidence in court that churches are contributing to the spread of COVID or that uh, full church service has resulted in any deaths. No evidence. You would think, you would think that if there's a court action on the go and you wanted to bolster your case, you'd put some evidence before the court to say, hey, because these nasty, evil, self-centered, inconsiderate, selfish idiots are having full church services. Look at the horrific result. Because they had a, a full church service, we know that you know COVID spread in their community and, and there's people that died. Well, uh, no. Uh, okay. And of course, they, they can't come up with that evidence because the virus does not spread amongst healthy people or through casual contact. So government's not able to establish any link between a full church and people dying of COVID. There's no link between the two. And so this is emerging slowly in the Ontario court actions. Now, unfortunately, they're a bit different because the government is 
we don't have the same opportunity to challenge the lockdowns as we do in our Alberta and Manitoba cases, because these are contempt of court proceedings and they're, they're just of a different nature. But it's interesting that even in these proceedings, uh, there's no, um, there's no medical or scientific evidence that the government's putting forward to show any kind of a link between uh, full church service and people dying of COVID. Bit of a pattern there. Maybe yeah, they're waiting for Manitoba to present their evidence. So. <laughs> We've got Bill C-10, very scary. Oh, yeah. uh, government censorship of the internet. Yeah, we're going to do a whole show on that soon. Don't worry about that for sure. But go ahead. Well, briefly, but the, the CRTC is going to acquire authority over uh, the internet so that when Canadians are uploading or downloading videos, I think uploading is the Yeah, that's primary, what they want to yeah. control. They want to control people's yeah. thoughts and content. So whether it's a funny cat video or whether it's, you know, something serious political commentary about, about COVID or lockdowns. Or Trudeau um, and blackface. Yeah, you know, the, the CRTC is going to have is going to have jurisdiction over what individual Canadians are doing online. And that's very, very scary. Right. And that's, uh, yeah, that's coming up. But right now, of course, we've got all this. It, it's in abeyance right now. The yeah. NDP was leaning towards supporting it. And now the NDP says they're not sure. Uh, if the NDP supports this bill, and of course, the, the Liberal MPs will presumably all vote in favor of it if it's a government bill. So this is really scary. This is tyranny. This is government censorship over uh, Canadians' use of the internet. And... Um, yeah, we- for any listeners out there, if you've got if if you're a member of parliament where you live happens to belong to the NDP, it'd be really crucial to give him or her a call and uh, express your opposition and say please don't join Trudeau, like you do on so many other things. Mm-hmm. But please don't, which is going to hurt you in the election. Uh, but please don't join Trudeau on supporting Bill C ten. That's what people should say to their their member of parliament. But. Contact your member of parliament, regardless of, of what party, obviously. Right. Good. And we will do a deep dive on that coming up soon. Not sure exactly when, depending on what happens and how things break in these other court cases uh, right now, which are ongoing. Okay. Well, that's great, John. I think we can probably call an end now to episode 17 of Justice with John Carpe. Great speaking with you. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Have a good week. Before we sign off, we thought, as a bonus, we would replay John's speech at a rally in front of McDougall Center in Calgary on May the 4th. McDougall Center, as John has explained, is the Alberta government's southern office, as opposed to Edmonton, where the main legislature is located. We'll put that in for non-Albertans. The video is posted on the YouTube and Facebook pages of Calgary Freedom Central. That's Calgary Freedom Central. Our Charter Freedom of Peaceful Assembly. Our Charter Freedom of Expression. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is the highest law of the land, not Dina Hinshaw's health orders. Today in Edmonton was the second day of the trial of Pastor James Coates in Grace Life Church. Now, Pastor Coates, and you've all heard of him and his courage, locked up by Jason Kenney for 35 days and now has his church barricaded. Of course, they've just, uh, they've continued having their Sunday worship, but now in secret locations. 
exercising their charter rights and freedoms in the face of unscientific, arbitrary, and unconstitutional health orders. Now, the central defense that Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church are putting forward is not that, you know, they didn't have a full church. I think everybody knows they had a full church. So, you know, not going into court saying that that didn't happen, but the central defense of Pastor Coates and Grace Life Church is that these health orders that they are charged with violating are themselves a violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Fourteenth month of this uh, temporary two weeks to flatten the curve. These are not temporary measures, and we're here now, uh, about an hour away from the premier uh, announcing even further restrictions on our fundamental freedoms as Canadians and as Albertans. The government has been telling us now for over thirteen months that these measures are based on science and that this is evidence-based public policy, one of Dina Hinshaw's favorite terms, evidence-based public policy. Now they were told, the government was told well in advance that Pastor Coates' central defense in court is that these health orders are an unjustified violation of our charter rights and freedoms. They've had more than 13 months to come up with the evidence. 13 months of violating our charter rights and freedoms. 13 months, and if these are evidence-based, the government would not need more than just a few weeks' notice to get their medical evidence, uh, to get their medical experts lined up to testify in court, to get their scientific reports, to get their medical evidence, to get their peer-reviewed scientific studies that support lockdowns, to get the data on the pros and cons of lockdowns, uh, the risk-benefit ratio of lockdowns. They've had 13 months. They should never have violated our rights and freedoms in the first place without this evidence. War crimes. So with all of this notice, you'd think that now that the government has an opportunity, had an opportunity yesterday, Monday, May 3rd, the first day of the trial of Pastor Coates and Grace Life Church in Edmonton on day one of the trial, here was the government's chance to come into court and show us the evidence, show us the medical evidence, show us the science to show that these measures are in fact backed up by science. Here was their golden opportunity, Monday, May 3rd, and today, Tuesday, May 4th, the second day. And what does the government do? Double no down. evidence produced in court. When, when are they going to produce it? Well, they can't say, they won't say. Well, at some point. Well, could you get the evidence ready by July? Well, you know, we're not sure. This tells, this tells you everything you need to know about how scientific and evidence-based these government measures are. When they've had been, when they've imposed on us for 13 months, should never have been imposed without that evidence in the first place to justify them. And when it's finally the government's opportunity to tell the court and the people of Alberta and the world what the science is behind these lockdowns, they don't produce any evidence in court today. Shame on Jason Kenney. Lock him up. The Alberta government 
Jason Kenney has publicly compared COVID to the Spanish flu of 1918 on several occasions. The government has been telling us for 13 months that COVID is an unusually deadly killer that everybody should live in fear of 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. The government's own data tell us that, government, that COVID is not the unusually deadly killer that they're making it out to be. We know that from Statistics Canada, we know that in 2020, 309,000 Canadians died. It's very sad. It's also normal. In a country of 38 million people, it's not surprising you'd have 309,000 people die in a year. Very sad, also normal. Out of 309,000 Canadians who died in 2020, what percentage died of COVID? 5%, 5% died with COVID, not necessarily of it. Yeah. And that's not much different from what the annual flu does every year. And that's not my opinion, that's the government's own data. The government wants us to live in fear because the government believes in asymptomatic spread. The government believes that healthy people, no chills, no fever, no sore, no sore throat, nor cough, healthy people me today are all spreading the virus amongst yeah. each other. That's what the government believes. We're not asymptomatic getting sick. Spread. None of us are sick. The Justice Center has asked Tyler Shandro repeatedly, show us what medical report, show us what science you rely on for your belief in asymptomatic spread. Show us. Mm. What do we get? Stonewalled, stonewalled, no response, no reports, no science. Nor has Tyler Shandro answered the question I asked him more than 12 months ago. When they came out with their fear-mongering April the 8th, 2020, they came out with their April 8th modeling. Uh, they still post it online. I, I'd be embarrassed to still have it up there if I was them. You look at the Alberta Health Services April the 8th, 2020 modeling, and we had the fear-mongering Dina Hinshaw, the fear-mongering Tyler Shandro, and the fear-mongering Jason Kenney tell us that even with lockdown measures in place, as many as 32,000 Albertans could die of COVID. 32,000 people, that's the fear-mongering that kick-started these violations of our charter rights and freedoms. And where are we at today? Something like 2,000 people, very sad, also very, very normal, because the government's own data and statistics tell us that COVID has a negligible impact on life expectancy. Again, not my opinion, it's the government's own data, which they could have produced in court yesterday and today if they'd wanted to. Mm -hmm. No such luck. They fearmonger and tell us that the healthcare system is in danger. The healthcare system might be overrun. We all know that that's a lie. The hospitals were near empty. And in the next few days, the Justice Center is going to be releasing other data that we've obtained that show that this is just a blatant lie. Yes, there's some hospitals here and there uh, that are overcrowded, uh, but this whole threat of overcrowded hospitals is a lie. And the lie is going to be exposed sooner or later because truth will expose the lie. Even if these hospitals were overrun by COVID patients, a few days ago, 
650 COVID patients, but how many hospital beds? Not that the media will tell you that. 8,473 hospital beds. So you got 650 COVID patients, uh, close to 8,500 hospital beds. This is just, uh, this is not honest when a government is engaging in this kind of fear. Worst of all, hospitals have been overrun for years. Hallway medicine, sadly, is common in Canada, and this is not caused by COVID, and anybody who says otherwise is not being honest. This is a long-standing problem that politicians have failed to fix the medical system. They could start by scrapping a government monopoly, which is never good for anything. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, the politicians are running away from accountability because their hospitals have been overcrowded for years and years and years. And now they say, oh, it's because of COVID. So therefore, we have to violate your charter rights and freedoms because of overcrowded hospitals. No, not true. They say they care about us, yet they cancel 22,000 surgeries. And we know from our FOI requests, the government is not making any effort to follow up and find out how many of these 22,000 Albertans whose surgery was canceled by Dina Hinshaw and Jason Kenney and Tyler Shandro in March of 2020, how many of these 22,000 people have died? How many have suffered irreparable damage to their health? The government is not even looking into it. Shame on Jason Kenney. Shame on, Jason, on Dina Hinshaw. Shame on Tyler Shandro. people. How many people have heard about Jerry Dunham? Yes. Jerry Dunham died in Medicine Hat in June of 2020, two weeks before Father's Day. His heart was functioning at 25% capacity. He needed pacemaker surgery. And Dina Hinshaw and Tyler Shandro and Jason Kenney said that his surgery was not necessary and they cancelled it. Yeah. Jerry Dunham died before Father's Day, leaving behind two grieving daughters, then ages six and eight. Shame on you, Jason Kenney, Tyler Shandro, Dina Hinshaw. You are responsible for the death of Jerry Dunham because you canceled his life-saving surgery. And now you're not making any effort to follow up on those 22,000 people whose surgeries you canceled. Shame on you, you're not compassionate. Killing people by canceling their surgery is not compassionate. Letting people die of cancer because they can't get their MRI scan or their CT scan in a timely fashion. They don't find out that they have cancer until it's too late. Killing people by cancer by way of lockdown measures is not compassionate. Nope. Destroying businesses is not compassionate. Nope. Throwing Albertans into unemployment is not compassionate. Nope. Driving people to drug overdoses is not compassionate. Nope. Driving people to suicide is not compassionate. No. These people have no compassion. They're war criminals. You have Jason Kenney saying that the people that attended the rodeo are somehow selfish. Yeah. That's only true if you believe in asymptomatic spread, which is something the government's not willing or able to produce any science to back up its belief in asymptomatic spread. So we know it's a lie. If it was the truth, why don't they just show us the reports? Why don't they come into court? Show us the reports. Show us the evidence. Tell us why and how asymptomatic spread is true. It's not. Nope. No evidence in court. No showing up. And then they lie when they tell us we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. No. We're in it together. How long 
would lockdowns have lasted if politicians and university professors and teachers and policemen and government employees and other public sector workers had to start living on $2,000 a month indefinitely. How long would lockdowns have lasted? They'd be over by now. Would, would lockdowns have been on for longer than two weeks, longer than a month, longer than two months? If all the firefighters and all the politicians and Dina Hinshaw herself, $332,000 a year, how would she like to get by on $2,000 a month? So when all the public sector people, all the politicians, all the university profs, all the policemen, all the teachers, when everybody in the public sector agrees to start living on $2,000 a month, indefinitely, we don't know how long, right, indefinitely, with no guarantee that the old salary is ever going to come back, when that happens, and only if that happens, will I know that we're all in this together. I just really appreciate everybody exercising their charter rights and freedoms today. It is rallies like this that are going to turn the tide, change public opinion. Uh, the Justice Center, we're doing our best to fight these battles in court. But ultimately, the even bigger battle, even more important battle, is the battle in the court of public opinion. We have to educate our neighbors, facts over fear. Look at the government's data. Uh, if you want resources, you know, there's many good groups. The Justice Center is one of them. You can get all kinds of information. Uh, and we base all of our information on government data. I mean, it's, uh, it's the government's own data that tells us that COVID is not something that we should all be living in fear of. It's the government's own data that tells us that it's a lie when they say that COVID threatens the healthcare system. Yeah. It's the government's own data that disproves the government's case, which is why they're uh, playing chicken in court and, and not coming out. They could have produced evidence yesterday and they're trying to stall it out as long as possible. I'd encourage you, uh, there's different groups, organizations, get brochures, hand them out. Uh, Unless Jason Kenney is, is even worse at 6 p.m. than what I think he's going to be, it's still going to be legal to take brochures and put them in the mailboxes and just go from house to house. It's still going to be legal to hand out brochures. The Justice Center is, is one group, and there's all kinds of other groups that have got brochures. Uh, I know End Alberta Lockdowns has got a fantastic Woo! brochure on the PCR test. Woo! Don't get me started on yeah. that. <laughs> Um, and the Justice Center is happy to mail you uh, 50 or 100 brochures to, to hand out, to distribute in your own neighborhood. Contact us. We'll send that out to you. And uh, in closing, we got to keep on exercising our charter freedom of peaceful assembly, our charter freedom of association. The charter is the highest law in the land. And we have to display courage, especially with this danger of curfews. When Jason Kenney started talking about curfews, first thing I thought about was my grandparents in the Netherlands who lived through the Nazi occupation for five very long, awful years, from 1940 to 1945. Curfews are a tool of oppression of the people, and it's the government trying to tell you who's boss. We are the boss. Curfews would be very much in line with the utter lack of science that is behind Dina Hinshaw's lockdown measures because COVID doesn't spread outdoors and there's just there's no scientific or medical basis for them other than a tool of oppression 
to, to oppress the people. And uh, keep on fighting. And remember, remember two things. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. And remember, it's better to die standing than to live on your knees. Thank you.